Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Okay, so today is going to be relatively normal, but as weeks go, this is going to be one of the strangest ones for me. In the grand, storied, and decorated being a bit facetious here, history of fantasy NBA today. And I want to say first, hello, welcome to week seven of the offseason here on Fantasy NBA Today. I'm Dan Vespers, your gracious host. And this week, uh, we're going to be threading the needle a little bit. Not so much today and not so much Friday, but those pesky three days in between. Well, we're going to do our best. I think I made mention last week, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast or if I said it on Twitter or both, but on Wednesday of this week, two days from today, and I shudder even as I bring it up, uh, I will be undergoing my first colonoscopy. Yeah, you didn't think you were going to hear that at the start of the podcast, did you? But, but, he says sort of tongue-in-cheek, since, you know, but... The uh, prep for this procedure eats up the day prior as well, and then there's some pretty significant grog and uh, impact kind of following the deal, although I'm hoping they say that I should be fine on Thursday, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll kind of assume that that's going to be the case and hope for the best. But tomorrow and Wednesday are going to be a little bit weird. I honestly don't know, and I, I got this damn Iron Man streak going. That has taken on a life of its own, and for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months, I've said at some point, at some point, I'm going to have to just break the streak and call it a day. But now I feel like it's become a challenge in and of itself. Oh, Dan can keep the streak alive while having a colonoscopy. Surely we can keep the streak alive forever. So what I think I'm going to do, and you guys are going to have to bear with me on this a little bit, is today, normal show... We're going to try to play catch up a tiny bit on uh, Sports Ethos because they're way out in front of us on the team recaps now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've fallen painfully far behind. Who the hell did we do on Friday? I don't know. I've already forgotten. I'd say it doesn't matter, but it actually does because I got to figure out where the hell we left off. I think we did the Raptors in our show on Friday, right? Wasn't the Raptors and then sort of like a playoff redux? Well... Sports Ethos has already done the Pels, the Bulls, the Thunder, the Wolves, and now I think they got a Hawks one coming out today. That's not great. I'm a solid, like, two weeks behind. How the hell did that happen? What have we been talking about on this damn show? Oh, right, yeah, the Yahoo pre-ranks and all that stuff. All right, so here's what I think we're going to do. Today, we're going to do the Pelicans. We'll talk about the Pelicans on today. She'll also uh, set reset the NBA playoffs because the conference finals have been... I'd like to say a bit lopsided, one of them more so than the other, although both teams, both series are sitting at 3 nothing, so it kind of doesn't really matter how you got there. They're there. Tomorrow, Tuesday's show, yeah, I still have lessons learned we haven't gotten to, and we're I'm like a month and a half out from the end of the regular season We've that has already uh, passed behind us. Um, and then for Wednesday, we may just have to do like a little fill-in show that probably won't be recorded on Wednesday, so don't expect any breaking news on that one, uh, because 
I, anybody that look, you, you can Google it. You can under, You can Google how the prep works for this particular medical procedure and understand why doing a show on Wednesday might be a bit complicated. Doing a live show would be damn impossible. Doing a recorded one, maybe you could do it in fits and starts, but I don't know if that's the way we're going to go. So expect the shows to be a little bit unusual, at least for tomorrow and Wednesday. And hopefully we'll kind of, again, thread the needle on that, get them done, keep the streak alive, and roll from there. As far as today goes, we're diving into the Pelicans and the playoffs. The two P's of the fantasy basketball offseason, Pels and playoffs. Which, unfortunately, this year did not go together. Pelicans uh, were wiped out uh, early. They were taken care of during the play-in tournament. After what can only be described as one of the most up and down. But notice how I didn't say the season had ups and downs. It was pretty much one big up and one big down. When the Pels were healthy... For like four days in November, they looked pretty damn good. Pels were the number one? Were they the number one seed briefly? I know they were in the two seed for a while. Basically, you can frame it like this. The Pels lost Brandon Ingram for a massive stretch this year. That was a fantasy team killing stretch because the updates on him were few and far between. Oh, it's a you know great big toe injury, blah, blah, blah. He'll be back at some point. So, well, yeah, not really. He played 46 games. And Zion, who blew out his hammy, and like we all knew that when the injury happened, it was going to take forever. And then it took forever and ever and ever. Played 29 games. And with as much respect as, as is needed, when speaking of the other players on the Pelicans, it's hard to win basketball games when you lose your two most important players. And that's what the Pelicans were dealing with for most of this season. They lost Zion. For damn near two-thirds of the year. They lost Brandon Ingram for damn near half of the season. You're just not going to be very good when you're without those guys. And we saw they maxed out at like above, slightly above average even when Ingram was back at the end of the year. They were fine. They went on a little run near the end of the season. They looked okay during that stretch. But there were obvious holes, specifically on the offensive side, that really could not be filled by the non-Zions on that roster. Trey Murphy turned himself into a really nice floor spacer, high efficiency. Actually, fantasy stats said that reminds me an awful lot of Cam Johnson. There are a lot of overlaps there. Trey, first of all, played in, what, 79 games this regular season? Let's triple check ourselves on that. I want to make sure we get the data right on this one. I think it was 79. Um... Ingram was 45, by the way. I might have said 46. He was 45. I counted the play-in game there for a moment. So Trey Murphy, 79 ball games, averaged 14.5 points, 2.5 threes. Not much in the rebounds or assist department, but 1.6 defensive stats, 48-plus from the field, 90 at the free-throw line, almost no turnovers. He made sense as a pretty decent 9 category. Low turnover. You call 3 and D, but also 3 and D and efficiency kind of guy. So that was a fun little story that happened this season, and he managed to carve out a role even when Ingram came back, although there was, the, there was a, a period there where it didn't seem like it was going to last. He, he found his way. We still don't really know what was going to come of Trey Murphy if Zion ever worked himself back into the mix. My guess is that, you know, just when volume... If you're a guy who relies on points, threes, 
field goal, free throw, and steals to collect your fantasy value. If you take shots away, you're negatively impacting four of the five positive categories that we just talked about. And then for points, it wasn't even a positive, but you'd look, it was, it was close enough. Suffice to say, those are the ones he was good at, and, you know, turnovers, it's not really going to get much lower than .8 anyway, so it's not like you can remove usage there. So I would say Trey Murphy, wonderful season, but also kind of a grain of salt sort of moment as you look towards next year with the assumption or the hope or some combination of those, the hope assumption that Zion is back for the start of next season. And then you've got Jonas Valanciunas. Well, let's triple check ourselves on the Pelicans contract situation here. Who struggled, by the way, I think JV's got one more year. If I'm remembering right, JV's got one more year, but we'll check ourselves on all these things. Uh, Yeah, pretty much the entire Pels are signed for another season. They basically have no choice but to run it back. Josh Richardson, didn't he finish up the year with that team? He's, I think, basically the only impactful free agent, the only player that played meaningful minutes uh, that the team can't very easily bring back on a, on a low contract. Zion's raise kicks in this coming year, um, which presumably will be sort of buttressed against Richardson's contract coming off the books and other little things that Pels can, you know, save around the edges, or they can just pay it. It doesn't really matter. Either way, McCollum, three more years. Ingram, two more years. JV, one more year. Zion, four more years. Five more years? A lot. Nance, two more. And then of the younger guys, Trey Murphy still on a young uh, a rookie deal. Herb Jones has a team option, I believe. He'll be restricted soon, right? Something like that. Uh, no, he was a second rounder, so I don't think they're... Yeah, that, that, that works out differently. Contractual stuff continues to make my eyes cross. Uh, either way, this is kind of an easy team to handicap with that one little footnote, asterisk, whatever, which is, will the main guys be upright? Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. We don't know. History would suggest that the answer is not really. CJ McCollum, 75 games this year. Good. That was good to see because he had had a season, season and a half where... 
his his game his game's played had taken a pretty significant hit, which had never really been the case for him in his career. CJ was a pretty damn durable dude the first six, seven years of his NBA career. And then uh, 2021, he missed 25 games. Last year, he got traded midseason. I think he missed 20. This year, back to only missing seven. So per game-wise, he wasn't very good this season. It was fine, but not great. Uh, but at least the health was back for CJ. That was a big thing. Herb Jones, meh. He was decidedly meh. Big steals numbers, but really not much else. JV was someone we talked about fading during our preseason analysis because we figured his usage was going to take a whopper of a hit with the assumption that Zion and Brandon Ingram were going to be soaking up a lot of it along with it, you know, CJ being there for an entire season now. There were just too many mouths to feed before JV. They didn't need as much offense when they had all those other guys out there so they could lean a little bit more into defense at the five. Zion could play the five. Larry Nance could play the five, so on and so forth. JV fell, had his one of his worst per-game fantasy seasons in a very long while, and he sat at number 118. Herb Jones was at 104. JV at least was healthy, so you could make an argument that he was sort of useful on the head-to-head side. CJ was down at number 87. Here's the thing. If you guys remember what we talked about at the beginning of the season, we faded the entire Pelicans roster. And that basically worked. But it wasn't always for the right reasons. So sure, we can give ourselves... If there's like, if you get five points for getting a team handicap right, we don't get all five. We get like three and a half or four. Because yeah, it resulted in the correct thing, which was not rostering many of these dudes. I think I had, I think I had Brandon Ingram in a, uh, a league that my, my goofball volume heavy league. And I thought, all right, well, this is a good one. Cause like he hits a lot of field goals and free throws and that's what I needed. And then he was hurt for half the year. So even that one didn't really pan out all that to say, I think he was the only Pelican I had in all of my leagues at the beginning of the year. One Pell on 10 teams, I think. I might be misremembering that. I might have had a CJ on one team where I needed points in like the fifth round or something like that. Either way, it was an extraordinarily low number. But did we do it for the right reasons? I avoided Brandon Ingram because he was going, he always goes 10, 15 slots too early now. He had that one season where defensive stats were weirdly high and then there was like a conspiracy theory about the Pelicans' official score uh, and then everything came back down to his career marks I never touch Zion he goes way too early because I don't punt free throws almost ever and he's a he's a points league darling no question about that uh or hell even an eight cat darling at some point but certainly a punt guy and then I avoided CJ because I figured this would be the first time he played with not just Dame but Ingram and Zion so the usage was going to be poor and I avoided Jonas Valanciunas because I figured the minutes would be down and so a couple of those we got right but like was the, re- the the avoid on Brandon Ingram actually ended up being more the health than the play? Because he finished at number 59 on a per-game basis, not too far off. I think he was going in the, what, 40s, late 40s, early 50s, something like that. So per game, it wasn't didn't end up really being a miss all that much. Totals, yes. And then I had this running dialogue on the podcast where people were very upset that I, I don't know, they didn't like my nomenclature on... Trey Murphy, but I will go to the grave that our analysis on Trey Murphy was accurate, which was 
he should be added and started as long as he is this injury stream. We still, throughout the entire season, never saw Trey Murphy have success when the Pelicans were fully healthy. People were super mad at me for putting him on the injury replacement board, like it was some kind of slight on Trey Murphy. It wasn't. It was merely an assessment that until we saw him, until we, we still haven't, until we see him succeed, when Ingram, Zion, CJ, Herb, Jonas, the usual starting five, until we see him succeed when all of those guys are healthy and playing together, I don't think that we can say he's more than a very good, mind you, injury replacement. Could he be? Yes. But keeping him on that injury replacement board doesn't mean that he isn't going to be successful as the teams get healthy. It's just that he hadn't yet been and still hasn't. I hope that that's more clear. Because people are like, oh, you're insulting Trey by saying he's just an injury replacement. Nah, man. That's how he got bumped forward. He got bumped forward, not even when Zion went down. It was when Zion and Ingram were out, when Trey really hit his stride. And then Ingram came back, and Trey stunk for about three weeks, and then he got confident again, and then he was good for like the last two and a half, three weeks of the season or something like that. But we still never saw him when both Zion and Ingram were in there play well and have enough shots consistently to play well. Should they find ways to get him in there? Yeah, he seems like actually a perfect fit around those dudes. Ingram, not much of a floor spacer. Zion, not at all a floor spacer, but a big gravity guy. Would be awesome to have a knockdown laser sight shooter around those dudes who's also rangy and gets some steals. That's Trey Murphy. Efficiency guy. This team needs three-point shooting badly. They were not a good three-point shooting team this year. CJ McCollum, Trey Murphy, basically the only guys on the team that they felt any measure of comfort at the three-point line. The rest of these dudes, no. So, yeah. Do I think Trey Murphy's going to get playing time next year? I think he'll get playing time. What I don't know is, is it going to be enough to translate into fantasy value? So, as I like to do with all of these team analysis shows, the most important part is, I think, what does it mean for how we handle this team going into next year? With the caveat, of course, that we have no idea what a team's going to do in the offseason, but I do get the feeling that this team has, well, frankly, not that many easy contracts to move unless they moved a young guy who I don't think they're super inclined to do. But, you know, CJ McCollum with 100 million left on his deal, that ain't going anywhere. Ingram's got, what, 70 million left on his? They're not going to trade him. Valanchunas is probably the only movable medium-sized contract. And then I don't know what they would look for. Because, like, where would they have been this year without JV? He was he became uh, a much more important piece once Zion went down. That's not to say that JV was, like, uh, putting up the kind of fantasy numbers that he had in the past that I still feel pretty good about the fact that we generally faded him this season. Uh... But they certainly needed him as the season went along. There were a lot of games where they needed an interior scorer. Because Zion was that. And when Zion went down, and then, hell, when Ingram went down, there, that was JV. 
Now, again, he wasn't that much better fantasy-wise, even after uh, Zion got hurt, which is sort of notable and leaned into this idea of, well, they're willing to go kind of floor-spacey mode. Valanciunas only averaged about 25 minutes per game even after Zion got hurt. You know, that's important, I think, to note. His minutes only went up by, like, one over that stretch, and his season-long value didn't change at all. We needed JV on a team where there are high-usage guys. Ingram, McCollum, those guys took a lot of the shots. JV needs closer to 28, 29 minutes per game to be a solid fantasy play in there because he doesn't block many shots. He's both percentages and rebounds. That's basically it at this point because points are no longer a positive for him. Blocks never really have been, although if he's out there for 30 minutes, he could probably get you about one per ball game. So, no, I don't. I mean, JV probably gets overdrafted again next year from people kind of remembering what he had been for a really long time. It's just not that scenario on this team anymore. McCollum gets overdrafted because he scores 20 points per game. Ingram typically gets overdrafted because people remember that one year where he got steals and blocks, but that's not really part of his arsenal. Zion gets overdrafted because uh, he's a punt guy, and that makes a lot of sense in other formats so people go and snatch him up and you know his name is Zion and he can do crazy things and score and blah 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 Herb Jones probably gets about accurately drafted but super uninteresting even by old man play standards he's very uninteresting to me and then Trey Murphy I I don't even have the first foggy clue where he's going to get drafted next year but again kind of understanding that this team fully healthy he probably doesn't get a dozen shots per ball game, which is basically what he got the whole time Zion was out. If that goes down to nine shots per game, how far does he fall? Well, he could still crack the top 100 if the minutes are decent enough. And it does feel like he's a guy that the Pels want to and should include in a lot of their stuff. So then to me, the question is, okay, is it going to be a better value to get someone like Trey Murphy Or is Cam Johnson going to be a better value out there? Because they're both going to basically give you the same stuff. And then you just want to have whichever one beats their ADP by more, basically. All that to say, not a blanket statement, but you probably want to fade the Pels players individually again next year. And the only way that the Pels players get close to their per-game targets is if they suffer through a whole bunch of injuries again, and we certainly don't want that. So that's like the little bit of a fantasy game of Russian roulette, where you're like, all right, well, I'm going to take Brandon Ingram, and if the team is healthy, he's probably not going to get to his mark. But if we take two players out, if Zion gets hurt, and I don't know, let's say Trey Murphy gets hurt, then Brandon Ingram can get to his per-game mark. But then do you really want to take the risk that Ingram isn't the guy that gets hurt? Because dude hasn't really played a full complement of games in, uh, ever? One time, maybe? Fade him. I'd love it if the team stayed healthy, because then I think the Pels would actually rattle off some wins. But from a fantasy standpoint, having that many guys all on the same team that everyone looks at is like, oh, these guys are all 20-point scorers. Well, yeah you're going to kind of want some piece removed. Got to take an arm off if you want the other ones to get strong enough on the fantasy side. Let's talk playoffs. Not for long, though. 
Nuggets lead the Lakers three games to none. Heat lead the Celtics three games to none. I would argue, and it's hair splitting 101 here, that the Nuggets-Lakers series, despite being a three to nothing lead, has been extremely compelling. These games have all been uh, pretty tight in the last couple of minutes. Nuggets, um, in both games two and three, rattled off a mid-fourth quarter run. I guess it was sort of like an early fourth quarter run in game two. Jamal Murray went nuts in that one. Game three... It was like three different guys. I was watching that game with my kid, and uh, Lakers were up one, and I think the Nuggets hit three threes in a row, basically. I'm trying to remember exactly when it happened. The Lakers were up one or two. Nuggets took a timeout, missed their shot. Lakers got the rebound and then had back-to-back turnovers. And it was like dunk the other way, dunk the other way, timeout. And then out of that, Lakers got some garbage shot. And then the Nuggets, it was like a, a KCP three, a Jeff Green three, and a Jokic three, I think. And boom, boom, boom. It went from like a two-point game to a ten-point game. And I looked at my son, who's six, because I'm, I'm an ass of a father. And I was like, I think it's over, dude. And he was like, no, nah, man. They... He's like convincing me they can come back. And then in the... looking back at that moment, I realized that was a terrible way to teach my kid to root for a basketball team, but I was right. That's not the point. When you watch a game with your kid, that's not how you act. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room when the other person is a six-year-old. I should have said, anything can happen, kid, while uh, also cursing into my shirt sleeve. Um, story of this series, Lakers and Nuggets, is that the Nuggets have been a vastly superior shooting team. That's it. I actually thought the Lakers played their game in Game 3. Not as much in the first two in Denver. I mean, Game 1, yeah, they did, but neither team really was guarding the other one at all. Nuggets hit 17 threes in Game 3 again. Shot 50%. And, you know, a lot of their success came on jumpers. Jokic hasn't even been that great the last two ball games, and the Nuggets still won because Jamal Murray had uh, one of the best fourth quarter stretches that I can remember between the second half of game two and the first half of game three. He slowed down in the second half of game three. Lakers did a better job of kind of taking the ball out of his hands more, but what did he have? He had he had something like almost 50, 45, 50 points over that two game four quarter stretch. It was pretty remarkable. Uh, no, maybe it was more than that. It was like 54 points? Either way. Uh, so he had 37. Jokic had only 24, surprisingly. Uh, but KCP, four big three-pointers. Bruce Brown had 15 points off the bench and a three-pointer. Michael Porter Jr. hit four. Jeff Green hit one. You can do a whole lot of digging, but at the end of the day, the Lakers needed somebody besides Austin Reeves, to hit a freaking jumper. That's it. Someone's got to hit a jump shot. It should probably be D'Angelo Russell, who's been uh, really bad in this series. And, uh, you know, he had sort of up and down moments in each of the first two series. You had those sort of like little heater runs he'd go on. Those were big. Like, I don't think that the Lakers win. I'm not sure that they beat Memphis 
in that first series without D'Lo getting ultra hot in a couple of games in L.A. And then against the Warriors, he had a couple little heater runs. He's done nothing against the Nuggets. He's got to wake up. If the Lakers even want to send this to a game five, he's got to wake up. Because someone else has to do something. A.D., yeah, he was quiet in game two. Overall, he's been very good in this series. Did what he's supposed to do. Dominated the interior. Reeves has been excellent. Hachimura has been pretty good. LeBron shot the ball a little bit better in this ball game. I, I don't blame him as much for taking a few more threes because he finally hit his first one of the series in game three. But, like, that's the ball game. Game one, Nuggets hit two or three tough shots. That decided the game. Game two, Jamal Murray hit a crap ton of tough shots. I think he's shooting something like 74% from the mid-range in this series. That's it. You're not going to beat a team when they're hitting a ton of jumpers. I really, I fully believe that this series was, what did I say before it started? Like 60-40 Denver? I still believe that. In watching every minute of all three games, every single one of them could have gone the other way. If Jamal Murray doesn't get hot in game two, goes the other way. If the, if the Nuggets don't hit like two desperation heaves in game one, could have gone the other way. Game three, if the Lakers hit like any open three-pointer other than Reeves, it could have gone the other way. So game four could very well go the other way, but at the same time, it's probably not going to go the other way four times in a row. The series is over. That's the short version. But do the Lakers have sort of that pride factor to go play ultra hard and, I don't know, maybe try to lead a game a little bit? Totals at 224. Uh, Lakers minus three. Slightly into the under, because I do feel like at some point, I'm going to say that, like, the Bills going to come due on Denver's amazing shooting from, like, 15 to 27 feet in this series. Uh, so I think this one will be a little bit lower. I think this one, I think the Lakers would like to be more in that, like, we win 112 to 105 kind of range. So slightly into the under in that ball game tonight. Um what I, I I don't think I could take the Lakers to cover because the thing, I mean, this game could go just like game three. I don't know how many times I need to say it on this same show. If a game is close, I like the Nuggets. Every single game has been that way. Said that before the damn series started. If this game is close, I like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic over anyone on the Lakers in a late game situation. Sorry, LeBron's still fantastic at 38, but he's not that LeBron anymore. And his jumper hasn't been working. And AD's the other guy that can go get his own shot, really, for the Lakers. Or D'Lo, but he's been horrible. So, what? You want Jamal Murray, who's shooting the stadium lights out of the place? Jokic, who can basically just back his way to within 7, 8 feet anytime he wants? Or you want AD, who's gone full disappearing act at times? I want Denver. But I do think that this game could go very much like the last one, which, you know, neck-and-neck neck ball game, and then Denver hits three threes in a row, which is basically how the whole series is gone, and then it's over. And you won't see the Lakers fight that much if they go down, I think, by a bunch. You know, when you're down three games to none, and you go down a bunch, you know it's over. I would suggest in-game betting for this one as probably the way to do it. See if the Lakers have the right body language and you can bet from there. If they don't, just take Denver to run away with it, even on the road. Same story, Celtics heat for tomorrow, but we'll talk more about that on tomorrow's podcast. That series has not been that close. Heat with a blowout in game three. 
Heat won both ball games on the road. They just snatched the heart right out of the Celtics. And, uh, you know, this is what we talked about with Boston. They screwed around in every series they've had so far. At some point, you knew it was going to burn them. I thought it would burn them in the finals. I thought it ultimately they would win this series. But everybody's just like, oh, Boston, Boston, Boston. I was like, I don't know, man. How can you give? How can you keep giving the Heat eight, nine points with the way they've played in these playoffs? Well, then they throttled them at home. From what I've seen from the Celtics right now, I, I don't. I, I have no idea how you trust them to actually give a good effort down three games to none. How? You win four games in a row, including two on the road. They've been better on the road at home until this last one. Boston's just been outplayed in every single facet. In a way that that other series really hasn't been. Nuggets have badly outshot the Lakers. But I think the Lakers have been generally better in the paint. They've been better at getting to the free throw line. Both teams have been kind of decent defensively. Celtics Heat, lopsided as hell, man. Heat, much better shooting. I mean, that. look, so I get it. So people are probably yelling at me now. Dan, if you're going to talk about the shooting on one side, you got to talk about it on the other. Yeah, uh, the Heat have been hitting their three-pointers all playoff long. That's been a really big deal. But also, like, they just got what they wanted. In this last ball game in particular, they got what they wanted. The Celtics had minimal resistance in a way that you have not seen in the Western Conference Finals. And that's why I went on VEASAN on Friday of last week uh, when that series was Miami leading one game to nothing, and the great Gil Alexander said, which of the four remaining teams looks the least championship ready? And we both said Boston. Because they've been goofing around. Not like playing silly, but just like not, no identity. Or whatever their identity was, they abandon it quickly. That's, I mean, that's often who wins playoff games. Who can impose their style of play on a series more? Which is why, I, I mean, I hope this Lakers-Nuggets series goes longer. Because I, I actually think it's been really compelling... You've had the Nuggets, crisp, crisp passing, getting out in transition, floor spacing, hitting their three-pointers, Lakers trying to take it right into the teeth of the defense. And so far, the Nuggets' style has won out. They've shot the ball better. Lakers haven't been able to make their open looks when they've been able to create them. But again, every one of those games felt like it could have gone either way in the final couple of minutes. Not so much the other one. You just never really felt like after Boston got that early lead in game one, I don't know that there's been a moment where I thought, yeah, Boston's ready to make their mark on this one. But maybe they'll prove me wrong, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow. For now, I remind you all once again, it's going to be a very weird week here on Fantasy NBA Today. But Monday was normal, so enjoy the was normal Monday. I'm Dan Vaspers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sportsethos.com presentation. We'll see you guys tomorrow. In some capacity, <laughs> pray for Dano. <laughs> later everybody you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel and I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.